0: with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms. And we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to anfieldindexpro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome
1: to The Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool FC. On a Tuesday where the fallout of Liverpool 2 Arsenal 2 continues to unfold. The Andy Robertson incident is front and centre in much of the discussion, which is convenient for many people, including the PGMOL, who don't have to ask questions, or answer questions rather, about why Mo Salah was not given a penalty for the late foul by Gabriel, which, I mean, bear hugs just aren't allowed In football and regardless of what Dale Johnson of ESPN wants to say in his ongoing defence of referees each week, you cannot wrap both arms around a player and pull him back in the penalty area. You can't do it anywhere else in the pitch. Anywhere else it's a free kick, it's a penalty, it should have been given. My guess is it wasn't given because of when it took place in the dying seconds of the game. Because the referee didn't want to be the center of attention, which is unusual for Paul Tierney, because you know, Paul Tierney is is the show. He's what people pay their money to go and see, is the Paul Tierney show. But this time he decided not to make the decision. And VAR, sitting with one thumb up their arse and the other one in their mouth, waiting for someone to yell switch, decided not to intervene. The Robertson thing, though, is is disgusting. And the tribalism that comes out from many people really does shine a light on just how one-eyed a lot of people are. So you've got Gary Neville, who likes to be the self-appointed voice on absolutely everything, coming out and saying that, you know, a fine should be enough, one game ban, whatever. And of course, all the United supporting idiots Uh, lap that up and agree with him and vote in his little poll that he put on Twitter. If that had happened to Gary Neville under Alex Ferguson, Ferguson would have had a stream of doctors coming out of the woodwork to claim that the player could have been killed. They would have faked x-rays to show broken bones, they the fake dentistry reports to say that he had to get his teeth fixed. But because the Liverpool player, apparently it's fair game. Uh, we had Paul Hayward in The Telegraph, who I do respect as a journalist, I think he's one of the very best, saying that the linesman needs to be protected at all costs. I see the absolute inbreds of ref support coming out and saying, oh, well, Robertson grabbed the referee. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. That's just not true. In the same way that it wasn't true that Mitrovic pushed a referee, Robertson didn't grab him. He put his hand on his arm, if anything. And like I don't know about you, but you know if you're walking down the street and someone puts their hand on your arm, you don't throw an elbow into their face. It's just not normal behavior. What this what this referee's assistant. Constantine uh, Hatzidakis did is far worse than what Mitrovic did. He elbowed the player in the face. And he should get fined and he should get suspended and then he should be demoted. And he should have to earn the right to work in the Premier League again. Send him down the lower leagues. Now, I get Andy Robertson is probably a pain in the arse. He's always gobbing. He's got a bit of narl about him. But you don't have the right to elbow him in the face because where does this end? Can players now elbow officials in the face if the official puts their hand on the player's arm? Let's say two players square up and the referee puts his arm on one of them to try and defuse the situation, is that player now allowed to throw an elbow into the referee? Because what would be the difference? And you've got Martin Samuel, who might well be the worst journalist to have worked for any you know, non-red-top tabloid over the last 20 years, saying stuff along the lines of, oh, his his colleagues are probably sitting at home cheering him on. Oh, what are you talking about? How is this, the discourse on this, how is this where we've gotten that referees are now allowed to put their hands on players in this manner? Oh, it's understandable that he would have snapped. Well, wouldn't it be more understandable if players snapped at officials, considering how hard officials seem to find it to do their jobs? Like, go back and watch the Liverpool Arsenal game at the weekend and look how many calls that officiating staff got wrong. Not just for us, in fairness, for both teams. The big ones went against us. It was the same thing when we played Arsenal at the Emirates. Three big decisions in the game. All of them went to Arsenal and all of them are wrong. Saka was offside, Jesus dived and Jota was denied a stonewall penalty when Gabriel basically caught the ball. Go and watch the Spurs-Brighton game at the weekend. I mean, that is one of the most outrageously bad officiating performances you'll ever see. There are five or six match-changing moments in that game, all of which went in Spurs' favour, and all of which were wrong. And it's not just a recent thing. Because I saw Goldbridge... Not that he's one to listen to, but I saw him say that, you know, the Premier League is corrupt because the officials are so poor. It's always been like this. The Premier League has always been way below par in terms of officials. You go back and watch some of the officiating in the late 90s and early 2000s in big matches between Arsenal and United, Arsenal and us, United and us, And some of the decisions that went in United's favour were outrageous. Like, it wasn't a joke that people used to say, oh, well, they've got the, the officials in their pockets. That's what it was. The officials were terrified of Ferguson. And when an official did something that Ferguson deemed to have wronged Manchester United, that guy just didn't ref another United game. You just, you didn't see him. You certainly would never see him again at Old Trafford. Whatever about in an away game where Ferguson might have less control of things. But they certainly wouldn't referee at Old Trafford ever again. And we're meant to put up with this. Now, look, we should have won the game regardless. We were all over them. From the moment Granit Jacka decided to do Granit Jacka things and get the crowd all wound up, which woke the crowd up, which woke the players up, we absolutely battered them. They're a very average team. They're a very average team. They're not real title winners in, in a normal Premier League season. This season, where most of the league is utter dross. They're taking advantage of it. And you give them credit for it. They've been very, very consistent. But we pissed all over them for 60 minutes. Now, the first 30, we were awful. We were dreadful. Both of their goals are really poor from a Liverpool point of view. The first goal starts because our midfield is all over the place and they get a simple run through. They get numbers Virgil doesn't deal with it the first time and then doesn't commit to the tackle the second time. I assume worried about giving away a penalty. But, you know, you'd love to see Andy Robertson put a bit more in to co- to cover a cross then on Martinelli. And then the second goal is a shambles. I mean, again, midfield completely out of the running, no help being given, simple cross. Virgil is in the central area. He gets caught underneath the cross, doesn't read it very well. Jesus just drifts in behind him. Again, you want Robertson coming in, but Virgil's as much to blame. The two of them had absolutely shocking first 30s. But then think of the big chances that we missed. Robertson missed a big chance. Salah missed a big chance. Darwin missed a big chance. Ibu missed a big chance. And we missed a penalty. We should have scored five or six in that game. The only reason we didn't was our own inability to put the ball in the back of the net. It's nothing to do with Aaron Ramsdale or Arsenal. It was just us. And it makes this season even more frustrating when you look at it in a vacuum of like, they're, they're very, very average for a team that are going for the title. City are average this season by their standards. United are painfully average. Newcastle are painfully average. Spurs are bad. Flat out bad. Villa are in a great run of form, but look at their team and then look at our team and tell me they should be in the mix with us. Same thing goes for Brighton. There's a bunch of players at Brighton that you'd love to have at Liverpool, but overall, They're not a patch on us. And both of those teams changed manager this season. Even if we just won the games that we should have won, Wolves away, Forest, Bournemouth, Leeds, there's 12 points we just pissed away that we should have right now that would have us in a really strong position to finish, not just top four, but but third. That's before you look at, you know, some of the the draws that we've had against bad teams, like two against Chelsea, one against Everton. That's potentially the six points that we could have got there. You know, you, you can accept losing some games. You'll accept losing to City. You'll accept losing away to Arsenal, even away to United, away to Brighton, away to Brevard. I, I can accept those, but the performances in most of them are just shameful. And I've written about this today on Anfieldindex.com. I think it might have come out last night, actually. Uh, A new attitude is just as important as a new midfield because, for me, the attitude, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch, needs to be completely course-corrected. It's unacceptable. We've become far too comfortable, far too arrogant, far too lazy, and those are things that all need to change. So do check that out on Anfieldindex.com. But, you know, if we had just those 12 points from... Wolves, Bour- Bournemouth, Forest, and Leeds—we'd have the same amount of points as Manchester United, um, and we currently sit in uh, and Newcastle, and we currently sit in third or fourth place, depending on the goal difference. And all we need to do was turn up in those games, and we just didn't. It's four games about a win in the league, and up next uh, we get Leeds. Leeds are dreadful. They just got beaten five-one at home by Crystal Palace. So, you know, you know what to expect there. Then we go to Forest. Then we play West Ham away. I mean, these are three games that should be very easy, straightforward wins. And right now, you'd struggle to be confident going into them. Um, Spurs at home, I'd expect us to get up for. Fulham at home, we should beat because they won't have Mitrovic and they're Fulham and they're probably going to be on the beach. Uh, Brentford at home, again, you'd hope we get up for it. Leicester away should be an easy win, probably won't be. Villa at home—that's sh- that's that is our toughest game remaining. Is Villa at home because Spurs are no good; they're in bad form. And then we get Southampton on the final day. There are nine games that we should be looking at and thinking, right, "We're going to win all nine of these games. We're going to win these nine games." If we were in the title picture. I think you'd mark us as favourites because that should be a very, very straightforward run of games. All the difficult games are at home. Spurs, Brentford, Villa. We played the Dross away. Leeds, Forest, West Ham. Now, Fulham aren't Dross. Fulham is home as well, so that's a home game. It's harder than any of these away games Uh, because Fulham are a better team. But Leicester, Southampton, like that's... One, two, three, four, five games against teams that are in the bottom. Five games against teams in the bottom seven. Like they, That should be five wins. Should be. Don't expect it to be. And the four home games should be four wins. But again, should be. Don't expect it to be. On This Is Anfield, Mo Salah the hero and anti-hero, as Liverpool shoulders his life yet? Um, obviously, Salah missing a penalty. That's two penalties this season and he's missed both. That's a concern. Probably at a practice, but I think I'd still give him the next one and then see where we go from there. Uh, two points dropped or one point gained. Any game at Anfield that we don't win is points dropped. I don't care who it's against. Jacques' is big mistake in five things fans are talking about. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold using the language of football to forge a relationship with Darwin Nunes. Tyler Morton responds to critics after psyching himself up for Blackburn push. Morton's in a, a fairly poor run of form and uh, could could do with turning things around there. Liverpool face another new manager after Leicester replaced Brendan Rodgers. They brought in Dean Smith. Um, it feels like a desperation move. Uh, Virgil van Dijk, sorry, Jenny Carragher defends Virgil van Dijk amid tribal Nemanja Village comparisons. Yeah, Carragher got into it with a bunch of United-supporting Neanderthals um, who think that pointing to league medals somehow puts Vidic over Virgil. Uh, team success and longevity are not a measure of how good a player was. They're a measure of how good a career he had. So... John Terry, Rio Ferdinand, they had better careers than Virgil. But as footballers, they're nowhere close to Virgil. This idea that they're the two best in Premier League history is laughable. They were never the best in the league at any one time. You go back in Terry's early days and Rio's early days, it was Yap was the best centre-back in the league. Saul Campbell was the second-best centre-back in the league. Then it was Campbell and Carvalho. Then it was Carvalho and Vidic. Then it was Vidic, and you could make an argument for maybe John Terry as number two, but I don't think it would be a particularly great argument. Uh, Then after Vidic, it was company. And again, Rio was never a top-two defender in the league. After company, it was Alderweireld for probably about 18 months, and then it was Virgil, and it's been Virgil ever since, and he's having a bad season. But his bad season still has him as as good as most defenders in the league. Like the season Virgil is having, there's maybe three or four centre-backs in the league that have been better. We just expect so much more of him. He's held to a much higher standard. You've got idiot United fans putting up uh, videos of Vidic and Ferdinand and it's all last gasp tackles and, you know, panic station defending. And what the video actually shows is, well, it shows two things. Number one, they were a good partnership. They they complemented each other well, and they covered for each other well. But it also shows just how many individual mistakes both of them made that the other one had to clean up. So Virgil's never had that. Now he's got Ebu. I think that's a pairing that over the next couple of years will develop really well. And Eboo can make up for his mistakes. And he'll make up for Eboo's. But there'll be very few of them. But this idea that, like, Rio Ferdinand, there's loads of centre-backs that have been better than Rio Ferdinand in Premier League history. Loads. McGrath, Adams, Pallister. Like, just those three alone, all better than Rio. John Terry was better than Rio. But Carvalho was better than both of them. Desai was better than both of them. Stam was better than both of them. I'd say Vincent Kompany was a better defender than Rio Ferdinand. Not as good as Terry, but better than Rio. I don't think Rio's a top 10 centre-back. If we look at the player, forget the team awards, forget longevity. If we base it on longevity, Ryan Giggs would be the best left-winger in history. Does anyone even have Ryan Giggs in their all-time Premier League eleven? And I guarantee if anyone does, when you ask them why, they'll say, well, he won 13 Premier Leagues. Well, their team awards. He didn't win them. The teams won them. He was part of the team, part of the squad. Take out team awards, take out longevity. As Carragher said yesterday, before Van Dijk, we didn't talk about any centre-back as potentially the best player in the league. Virgil would have a ball on door if it wasn't for Lionel Messi. Nobody else ever has come and played at that level. Yapstam, McGrath, they're probably the two that were closest. Campbell, Carvalho were exceptional. Adams was incredible. Tony Adams, the best English centre-back since Bobby Moore. And it, it isn't. Campbell is the only one that ever approached that level. Pallister had the back issues. Ledley King's career got derailed by knee issues, but he was a better defender than Terry and Ferdinand as well. He just couldn't stay fit. So Carrick was right, but he's he's he himself overrates Ferdinand and Terry. On to liverpool.com. We have uh, Pep Guardiola and Roberto Firmino react to Liverpool incident as ex-refs blame Robertson. Imagine. This is is what's going on. You've got ex-referees coming out and blaming Andy Robertson for getting elbowed in the face. Now, Unsurprisingly, one of them is Mark Clattenburg, who is a gobshite and has always been a gobshite. And Peter Walton, who was a dreadful referee. So would you really care what Peter Walton has to say? Um, You've also got those clowns at ref support who really just need to get themselves a proper hobby. Arsenal battle Liverpool for £33 Bayern Munich transfer as Jurgen Klopp alerted to price drop. Uh, I'm going to guess that the Bayern Munich player is Ryan Gravenberch, as he's the one in the picture. Uh, There's a few players in the picture, but I'm guessing it's Gravenberch. Florian Plettenberg says Liverpool and Arsenal are both interested. We've been interested for a while. We were linked with him strongly before he went to Bayern and indeed the summer before that. Uh, apparently Nicola Borella's price has dropped to around £44 million. Pounds. If that's true, we should be all over it because yeah, I know I've said no more small midfielders. I, I'd change it for him. He's, he's exceptionally good. Uh, Liverpool can sign next Jack Grealish after scouting unbelievable $31 million man Pep Guardiola loved. Uh, so this is Oh, it's Alex Scott. Well, I've been banging the drum for Alex Scott for about six months now. I'd very much be in favor of signing, signing Alex Scott. I I think he is a tremendous player. Uh, not really sure why they've tried to make a comparison to Grealish. Um, He's nothing like Jack Grealish. What he is, is he's a ball of clay that you can tweak and mould into whatever you really want him to be. Uh, so the Athletic have nicknamed him the Guernsey Grealish, which is just drivel, utter, utter drivel. Um, no, he's a, it's probably because he wears his sock slow, but he can play right midfield. He can play a little bit of right back. He can play holding midfield, box to box. Can be anything you want. I would very much be in favor of signing Alex Scott. 19 homegrown lad will obviously not count against the quota either way for the next couple of years, but Alex Scott is definitely one. If we can get him at a decent price, 20, 25 million, maybe throw in Curtis on loan there, maybe throw in Fabio Carvalho on loan, uh, Tyler Morton on loan, whatever it takes to get the deal done. Yeah, Alex Scott is definitely somebody we should... Be uh, And you get him, Jude, Lavia, and one more, the four that we need, even him, Jude, and Lavia would be a hell of a summer. That's your midfield sorted long-term. And I, I think Scott, to me, could be molded into that Ginny, somewhere as a hybrid between Ginny and Thiago. He'll never have Thiago's passing ability because that's... Just something Thiago was born with, that that genius weight of pass. But he is a very good passer. And he's very good defensively, and he's got a good capacity to press. Those two, as the long-term mates, could definitely get on board with that. Uh, on Anfieldindex.com, uh, Stephen Smith has player ratings and a post-mortem up from the Arsenal game. Dave Davis has a piece up on the Andy Robertson incident. And a scouting report on Alexis McAllister, so check that out. And then my my ramblings are there. A new attitude is just as important as a new midfield. Podcast-wise, there is Raw. If you haven't listened to it, it's Trev, Carl and Harry. And the Nina Kauser show was on as well. Nina was joined by Tom and Kay uh, to have a look at the game and answer questions on the team selection, tactics, performance and the key moments so give both of those a listen. And that's all I have today, folks. So I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community